Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. As we continue our indie summer coverage, we talk with an author today that has seen indie publishing go through ups and downs from the wild, wild west to a mature industry with opportunities and challenges for anyone wanting to get their stories out to the masses. Kevin Tumlinson writes science fiction as well as his current passion of archaeological thrillers. Think Indiana Jones meets Dan Brown. And in this episode, we talk about his thoughts about what it takes to write in a particular genre and gather an audience, why he pivoted in his chosen genre, what he thinks is the number one thing authors can do to take their publishing to the next level, his work with indie publishing platform Draft to Digital, and so much more. Stay tuned for Kevin Tumlinson. And welcome back to the StoryCraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner, as always. And today, I am super excited to have my buddy Kevin Tumlinson on the show with me. Uh, Kevin is one of my favorite authors, and his Dan Kotler series, if you love thrillers and archaeological thrillers as much as I do, this is a series that you must get in, follow, and, uh, you know, Kevin just does exactly what what I love. And uh, welcome welcome to the show, Kevin. Well, thanks, Hank. I really appreciate it. Thank you for you're the kind so, words. You're so welcome. Um, Kevin is also the director of marketing yeah. at Drafted Digital. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we'll talk all about that in a little bit. But um, Kevin, I have known you long enough to know when you used to write science fiction. Yeah. As, as well as thrillers and stuff. But and you, I still dabble. Yeah, you know, of course, of Every course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know the, you know, it's it's an interesting discussion because, um, you know, if you if you find a niche that you like and that you're getting, um, some some positive feedback, yeah, uh, and you know, a lot of folks will tell you focus on what sells. You know, don't don't go doing other stuff when you found an audience here, um, but. As with, I think most authors are wide readers as well, yeah. or at least I hope they are. And yeah. I love to read science fiction. I love to read fantasy. Um, I love to read thrillers. And I, I, I'm at varying degrees of, of being good at, at writing any of those genres. <laughs> um, but I love to read them. Yeah. Uh, you know, so um, how did you land on archaeological thrillers uh, first off, and and how do you feel about that whole conundrum of, you know, writing broadly versus yeah. narrow narrowing down a niche? Well, it's ironic you said the word conundrum, yeah, uh, because the uh, uh, the founder of Conundrum Publishing, Nick Thacker, is the reason that I started writing. <laughs> I I don't know if that was meant to be a segue or not, Hank, but that's that you rolled right into it. Uh, yeah, so Nick Thacker, he and I, um, 
So I bought him on the internet as a friend uh, back in like 2013 <laughs> for like $200. I was uh, I was looking at whether or not I should add author coaching as as part of my business. Yeah. Um, and I did for a time, but I was uh, reaching out to author coaches I was finding online and paying them for a session just to, yeah, you know, just to kind of feel them out. And I, I, I paid him for a session and then we just ended up hitting it off and started co-writing some stuff together. And then we started doing a, a podcast together called self-publishing answers. And, uh, we were on air close to, I think 2015 or so. Um, and he dared me to write a thriller novel because that was his genre. And, uh, he thought I'd do really well at it, but he just sort of dared me to, and I took the dare and uh, I wrote my first thriller was uh, the Quelo Medallion, and uh, that introduced Dan Kotler as an archaeological, uh, an archaeologist and an FBI consultant, and uh, it just it did very well and just took off from there. So, uh, yeah. So you know the thing is, and I said this from the beginning, um, I write character driven fiction, right? And I always told people like you know when when you tell someone you write science fiction the response overwhelmingly tends to be, well, I don't really read science fiction. I, I don't like spaceships and robots or whatever. Right. Like, you know, my characters, this is what I would always say as a justification. Like my characters, you could take my characters out of that sci-fi story and put them in, you know, Victorian England. Right. It would be the same story. And uh, this was a chance to kind of put my money where my mouth was. You know, if my characters are the core of the story and it doesn't matter what their setting is, then switching genres was no big deal. And, and it turned out it really wasn't. I mean, were you I still, a, like I said, I still dabble right. <laughs> in sci-fi. So were, were you a fan of that genre? Uh, well, yes, in, in a lot of ways, um, mostly a fan of the, the film uh, version of that genre yeah. uh, with like Indiana Jones. And I had read um, quite a few thriller novels that I now sort of consider core to my education. So uh, you know, stuff by Dan Brown. I had actually interviewed Dan Brown on the radio years ago before he wrote Da Vinci Code. And, and my show has a mention in, um, uh, in the foreword for, um, uh, angels and demons. Wow. Uh, so, you know, of course I read that, uh, <laughs> I read Da Vinci Code and I saw the films yeah. and I watched national treasure and Indiana Jones. And so, you know, I had this love for the action adventure thriller, right. um, and the archeological thriller that genre in particular was one I thought I could get a lot of play out of. And I absolutely have. I mean, I've, you know, I'm 12 books in and, uh, on that, just that series, 12 books in that series, uh, plus, you know, three or four novellas and short stories and, uh, you know, 70 books total at this point, I think that's insane. or just shy, just shy of I, 70. I, I was, I was just about to ask you, haven't you published like 40 books? And I guess that's how outdated my, <laughs> that was my answer for a very long time and i've really been stepping things up and it, it's as always very hard to to put an actual number on that because there's always books in various stages of of publishing yeah but i'm on a kick right now where i'm like i've committed to doing um a, another dare from nick thacker i've committed to try to knock out 15 books over the next 20 weeks and That's uh yeah 15 books in 20 yeah. weeks yeah, so I'm one down. Got another one nearly finished after starting last uh, Tuesday. So, so is there any trick to being that prolific? 
there are a lot of tricks yeah. that can make you that prolific. The the biggest one, the most reliable one, is to sit down every single day and hit a word target. And um, yeah, but we don't want to hear that. We want to. Yeah, hear no that. one wants to hear that. So if you want the magic, uh, so first you need uh, the blood of a virgin. Um, you need check and uh, a twice ripe papaya. Um, no, there's no. You know, I wish there were a, a magic formula. I will say, uh, Nick and uh, Joanna Penn and uh, some other authors that I that I run with in this in this space, um, they are more and more often using uh, dictation to do, you know, like five thousand words an hour. Um, yeah. and that have, is. Have you tried? I tried dictation. I've tried it a few times. I just I can't seem to mesh with it but the problem for me is five thousand an hour is about what i write normally so right. i'm not gaining anything if i'm only doing five thousand an hour right uh maybe saving myself some carpal tunnel damage or some something yeah. uh, and i don't i don't drive any or, or anything so you know nick uses drive time uh when he takes his kids to school or his right. wife to work or whatever um he takes the long way and he narrates a book and um that's how he's knocking out a book a week and uh you know joanna is um doing pretty much the same you know so it's just or oh actually i don't know i think she takes walks and things like kevin j anderson does the same thing he goes right. and hikes in the mountains in colorado and uh dictates the next dune book while overlooking you know these beautiful mountain vistas and stuff i mean maybe and if that was mine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've heard some of his dictation samples and they are yeah. pristine. Like really? I, yeah. I don't, I don't, um, I don't think that way. Um, I think like, uh, through my fingers, uh, yeah. <laughs> almost you like, I need so to that's be the thing. And I, I'm trained to do that after right. decades, you know, I'm about to turn 50 years old, man. I mean, I've been typing since I was, uh, I believe I started typing like actual touch typing at like 13 or 14 years old. Same. I turned yeah. 50 this past fall and yeah. I, I started, you know, timers. we, we grew up in the, the home computer revolution. You right. know, I had, I had a, a, a TRS 80 uh, yep. computer and, right. a, and a, a, a Commodore 64, yep. you know, and we all learned to type that way. And then yep. it took typing in high school, actual typing, on yeah, a IBM um, Selectric. Well, IBM you know? Selectric, the big blue uh, oh, yeah. IBM, weighed yeah. 200 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. There was something that you put your fingers on the keyboard and you felt the vibration of that's that motor. I, that's what oh. I drove right there, yeah. buddy. Oh, 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 that's oh. a V8 right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. <laughs> yep. And uh, and that was, for the longest time, I've joked that that was the, the only marketable skill I ever got in high school, um, which is probably <laughs> true. Right. You know? Probably not far from the truth, but uh, yeah, typing is so. I'm very, I'm a very fast typist, you know. Yeah, uh, I've slowed down a little as um, you know, I'm not, I it used to put, I, I, I'm, I'm famous for pushing myself to see how much I can produce. I'm famous for it. Um, you know, I wrote a book in a day. Uh, I think yeah, you're aware. I, re I remember uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm writing the sequel to that book. Uh, now and I'm writing it in a week, so I'm not replicating the process, but I am <laughs> hopefully replicating the success of it. But uh, uh, the you know typing was always it's so natural for me 
like I watched Joanna Penn. I watched a video with her about um, dictation. And that was one of the things she said is that she flows more freely with dictation because as she's typing, she's like, well, is that the right word? Do I need to rephrase that? I, I got a typo. And that, that halts her. I don't have hmm. that issue at yeah. all. When I type, when I type, it's, it goes straight from, you know, the, that, that part of my brain that's constructing the sentence to the screen. I mean, it's almost no gap in between. And, uh, I've done that with dictation. I experimented just yesterday. I experimented again. I have a little, I have this little recorder here. If you're watching on yeah. screen or something, you can see it's the, I have several of these zoom products and I don't use them for much anymore. And, um, Nick and I have been talking. I thought, well, I'll try it out. I had to go run an errand. And so I dictated a, an opening scene for a book into it. And uh, it flowed very well. It was the same you know, vibe as what I would write. But it felt so awkward. And every little bump in the road shows up. And, you know, it just, I, it's not the experience. For me, it's not the writing experience. But yeah. I think as a tool for writers to become more, you know, productive and prolific, it's an amazing thing. And I think anything that helps you produce the book, you know, just like any, just like an audio book is still reading, you right. know, uh, narrating is still writing. And I, I think that uh, if it helps you produce your story and get it out to your reader, then it is absolutely the right way to go. But it just isn't for me. I don't think it's for me. Do you, uh, are you a, a plotter or a pantser? Which, which I, camp do you fall in? I am, I am, so far in the pantser camp that plotter <laughs> plotterville is a distant memory i had i think i've plotted exactly two books in my life both were terrible um <laughs> one of them was was the book that actually got me a um a publishing contract a traditional contract back in like 2006 wow. i plotted that because they demanded it uh you know, and there's a whole tragic story behind, you know, not getting that book published. Yeah. Uh, but I, uh, I didn't like the process. I didn't like the result and I have pantsed every book ever since. So, so, um, I work, you know, the, the, the argument, the pushback that you get from, uh, from plotters when you say stuff like that is, well, you're just going to bog down and you're going to spend all this wasted time thinking about what to do mm -hmm. next when you could have just planned it out <laughs> to begin with. Um, yeah. You know, but you obviously don't have that problem. Um, no, I have a process to get around that problem. Okay, please share. Uh, and it is, uh, I stole this idea from Dean Wesley Smith. Um, if you haven't read Writing, Writing into, into the Dark, dark right? I knew where uh, you are going. He has uh, what he calls cycling. I, I modified it slightly into what I call looping. But cycling, um, he writes 500 words. He cycles back, edits, and rewrites, and continues on. And, that, and in that way, he's got continuous momentum through the whole story. Um, I use what I call looping, which is, you know, I'm writing a lot more per day now, but you know, for the longest time, like I, my, I set my word target at like 2000 words, which I think is pretty reasonable for most people, sure. but whatever works for you is, is your word count. Whatever yeah. you can produce is your word count. But, uh, let's say that it's, you know, a thousand words a day. So I would write my thousand words that day and then put it away and go about my regularly scheduled life. And then I loop back the next day and read and edit that thousand words before continuing on to do my next thousand. 
And I actually count any words I add in my total for the day. So if I, if my goal is to do another thousand words that day, then, and I add 500, when I go back and rewrite, then that's 500 I've added so far. And now I need 500 more. And, uh, that is a way to continuously add energy and momentum back to the writing, get past blocks, get past, you know, stumbles. Everyone is going to have that stumble. I don't care if you plot or pants, it doesn't matter if you're plotting, you're going to come to a point where you're plotting, where you don't know what to put next and you're going to spend that time. Uh, I like to do it on the fly because I can go back. If I really get stuck, Hank, if I really get stuck, I loop all the way back to the beginning and I read and rewrite the whole book up to the point where I stopped. And by that point, I am, I've got all the momentum in the world and I go on and finish the book. And that, that happens pretty yeah. regularly. But tell me how it's any different. If you plot and you're writing the book, uh, you're going to have to go back and reread and edit and rewrite anyway. Right. So I'm just doing that as part of the writing process. And what I end up with is a much richer, deeper story uh much more intricate because you know i'll write something in chapter 22 that i didn't set up so when i loop back to re-edit i know okay in chapter five i need to add something about this and so you know i know i know how it's going to end that's the same thing as plotting i'm right. doing the same thing i'm just doing it longhand and uh i think that that for me the hang up with plotting has always been that once i've once I've outlined the story, it feels complete. And so I've got no, I, I don't, I don't have the energy to go write it now. <laughs> you know, I know the ending, <laughs> yeah. so I don't want to write it. Um, I rarely ever know the ending of my books. I, I don't know until they're done. So my, uh, my friend, Steve Bollier uh, calls that the, the onion method of writing. He'll, mm -hmm. he'll write through a, uh, a storyline and and loop back like, yeah. and then add details and go back and just add layers and layers to it. I like to think of it as um, I remember hearing a story years ago about um, uh, what they called it, but it's this it's all day stew is what we always called it. Right. And there would be these sh chefs, famous chefs in like, you know, Paris and Italy and and places and what they would have is a big kettle over the fire and whatever they prepared on the menu that day whatever scraps of it were left over went into that kettle and so what you had and it just cooked all day long and then at the end of the day that was typically the meal that the chef staff and their families had right but occasionally they'd put it on the menu like all day stew all day soup you know and uh and someone would order it and it would be different every time right but it was built up over time by just adding whatever whatever you had right going back and editing uh that's that's the same process for me i'm just i've got this i've got my base stool my my bullion you know i've got all that is is, is sitting there and um I'm just all I'm doing is going back and throwing in new ideas or new, you know, information or whatever uh, to make it a richer, a more delicious story. So does that mean at the end of your first draft, you wind up with a pretty clean first draft because you've been cycling yeah. back through yeah. the whole way, looping back? Pretty clean. Um, I'm not going to say it's ready to print. I, I, I yeah. once I've got it, I run it through what I call my edit stack, which is, um, uh, several different editing like tools and an editing team. So I, 
I have a street team. Um, they're basically arc readers or beta readers. And uh, so I run everything through. I used to have other things in the stack. Now it's a, it's a slimmer stack, but it still yeah. works really well. But I run, you know, first thing you run is the built-in. I use Scrivener. So I run the built-in grammar and spelling check from Scrivener. I do a find and replace for double spaces because that's something I sometimes inadvertently put in still uh, to these days. <laughs> Uh, yep. period double space and um you know and i do other little checks like okay did i consistently spell the this guy's name right you know i, I do i do that yeah. and then i'll um i open it in uh pro writing aid and in pro writing aid that'll open the actual scrivener file for me uh, and edit it directly so i i run that check spend the time some time going through each of the things it found and and you have to use your human brain to judge whether or not those corrections are are right yeah. <laughs> you know you can't just depend on it um also it tends to default to british english uh so i have to sometimes it gets mad at me uh if i've gone one way or the other but but i'm inconsistent you know yeah. uh so <clears throat> i do that and when that's done i mean i used to run it through microsoft words sp spelling and grammar check and sometimes i will uh, but by that point, it's pretty clean. I send yeah. it to my um, street team and I give them a deadline on when I need it back and they get it back with uh, with corrections. And then I make those corrections right in Scrivener. So it's a uh, it's an it's a good process. I mean, it's it by no means does it catch everything every time. Mm -hmm. I'll still get people who say who will contact me and say, hey, you use the wrong two or the wrong there or whatever <laughs> uh inadvertently or whatever uh weak yeah. that's the one i get i've been nailed on a few times i i will some for some reason type w-e-e-k when i mean w-e-a-k like 85 <laughs> percent of the time but um well we had uh <clears throat> we had lauren moore on last week who's an uh an indie editor and one of the things we talked about is when you're going through the manuscript once you see that wrong word like yeah. three times or something your brain just ignores it and yeah. to you it looks it looks perfectly right there's right. you know you can't even see it until until it's you know brought to your attention oh i've had people point things out and i'm like oh there's no way there's <laughs> no way something came along and changed that after the fact because there's i've read that sentence a thousand times and never saw that i used that word or whatever that's um, so funny yeah it, it happens but yeah that's the great thing, by the way, about being an indie author versus being traditional is that um, we we get to very quickly fix those problems. Right. Exactly. But, and if you think that that stuff doesn't show up in uh, traditionally published books, uh, you oh. are sadly mistaken. Like I'm I'm reading um, uh, the Celestine Prophecy. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah. of that book. Yeah. Uh, James Redfield. Uh, it's a book that's been around since the 90s, right? And it's had multiple re-releases, um, and I am still finding tons of typos in that in, funny in the book. Yeah, and that's a New York Times bestseller a couple of times over, yeah, many times and, over. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it happens. You know, that's so funny. Well, another thing, um, since we're talking about editing, uh, one thing we talked with with Lauren about is the difference between line editing and developmental editing and yeah. all of that are you're far enough in your author career and in your your genre that yeah. developmental edits are 
or probably not a thing that yeah, you worry about. I don't. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just I've never seen the value in a developmental edit personally. For me, um, I do. I would, and maybe that's arrogance on my part. And <laughs> if you're one of my readers and you disagree, I completely understand. <laughs> um, but I've just never. I've never felt comfortable. I've 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 run at least one book through a developmental editor, and the edits I got back. Um, did not make the story stronger to me. Um, now that's a one-off thing. Maybe I had the yeah. wrong editor, uh, all kinds of reasons why you might not want to do that. I, I happened to have like a freebie with this service. Um, but I think your developmental editor should be your reader. You know, they should let you know when your story is not working and, yeah. and when you've got to, and I've had that happen. Like I've had it, readers come back and say, you know, this late, latest book, for example, in the Kotler series, um, a lot of people complained that it was too much psychology. That's what they said. <laughs> and uh, and I, I found that really fascinating because it's like that was actually kind of the point of of that. Uh, but they're not responding to it. So next book, no, uh, no in-depth psychology. <laughs> um, but all that said, now there is an audience for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that book might just appeal to, you know, people who have read psychological thrillers for yeah. example uh they're just uh they're there maybe there's not enough crossover with the archaeological thriller audience well and the the good part about where you are in your career and with kotler specifically is that if i don't like the newest kotler book yeah that's fine i'm gonna read the next one anyway right. because right. i'm a fan yeah you know and and you know that that's one thing you when you start getting that buy-in um, your readers will, will give you some, the, the leeway to try new things, you know, as yeah. long as you're not just completely in left field, you know, I, I'm going to come back and see what Kotler's up to next. I'm well, the, given. the secret there is, is, and this is something I, I tell authors now, you, you know, I work I, literally, and I'm not exaggerating. I've worked with hundreds of thousands of authors Yeah, to start and build and grow their their publishing careers. And um, I, that's one of the things I, I tell them is you need to make sure that you are uh, marketing yourself and building a brand as the author rather than marketing and branding the books. Because right. if you ever do shift gears, I mean, this stuff happens. Look at um, even JK Rowling shifted and wrote a, a uh, I don't know what you would call that. A, a, Casual vacancy is is the, not the crime thriller. The yeah, it's like a crime. Yeah, yeah. like a lightweight yeah. crime thriller kind of thing. Yeah, the the kind of gumshoe <clears throat> detective. Yeah, and yeah. You, you know things shift. Sometimes yeah. you want to write something different. Sometimes you want to, um, you know, sometimes the market demands something a little different, uh, and you don't want to be caught in the position of, you know, well, I only write, you know, archaeological thrillers. Right. So I'm out of luck. I can't I can't write that climate thriller that 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 person has requested, you know. So I, I love that series that that she publishes under the name <clears throat> Robert Galbraith. Is that that right? Is that right? I, oh, yeah, I, I didn't I, even I know it was a series. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I think there's like five books now. Um oh, and wow. I love that series. It is not Harry Potter in right. any form or fashion. Right. But but I I love it. You know, so well, and she took a pen name, so that yeah. does that is a little bit of a different uh scenario. And I think there are still people who don't realize that 
she's writing. I, I saw a casual vacancy recently in a bookstore and it had her name on it. So I, I was, I thought maybe she had embraced that. Uh, but it may have been a, uh, a written by JK Rowling as boy. Maybe that. Yeah. Maybe that's where uh, it, it, it was a very poorly kept secret. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was a pen name. And we, yeah, know, I think the idea name. was in part, you know, Rowling wanted to see if she, if, if it was just her name selling the books or if, right. you know, she was good at this. And I, I think, uh, I think a lot of lessons were probably learned there, but here's the lesson I, I think authors, all authors should take from it is it doesn't matter whether it, whether you're really good or it's just your name that's selling the book, your right. name selling the book is what you want. You know, exactly. that's your, that's where your platform begins. Um, you know, if your reach is, uh, there's a Kevin Tomlinson novel out and people who love to read Kevin Tomlinson novels are going to love to read it, whether it's yeah. science fiction or fantasy or thriller or something else, you know, uh, do some of, when I put something else out that isn't quite in the same vein as, as, uh, as Dan Kotler, uh, you know, does everyone just love it? No. Some of my list comes back and says, ah, I don't, I don't, I didn't like evergreen or I didn't like, you know, uh, Alex Kane or whatever. Yeah. Actually, no one has told me they don't like Alex Kane. Um, in fact, I think more people like that series than the Kotler series. <laughs> uh, That's but funny. they don't. You know, there are people who are just they want they want when they go to McDonald's they want a quarter pounder. They don't right. want uh, the, uh, the 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 McTasty or whatever it is. Um, that's just the way. That's just the way consumers are. Yeah. So, that's so funny. Um, I've I've seen uh, you know stories of famous musicians' kids or famous actors' kids, and they change their name because you know they're like, I don't, they, they I don't make wanna, it on their own. Yeah, I want to make it on my own, and I am not here for that. Give yeah. me the nepotism. I am I am here for it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I I write under the name Stephen King Jr. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Elroy so Grisham. <laughs> Elroy Grisham. <laughs> you wear yeah. is uh, you are the the director of marketing for Draft to Digital. Yeah. How, how did you wind up in that gig? I um, so I used to have a podcast called the Word Slinger Podcast. The Word Slinger. I love that show, but I, I I did sort of put it on permanent hiatus in uh, tag end of twenty twenty. Um. Cause I just had too much other stuff yeah. happening. And, uh, and, and I felt like that show had, I'd kind of gotten what I was after with that show. Yeah. I felt like I'd done what I wanted to do, but I had interviewed at one point, uh, Dan Wood, mm -hmm. who is from draft to digital. And, uh, at the end of our call, we were chatting and I said, Hey, look, I do marketing. I have a marketing company that I've started. Uh, I do copywriting and things like that. If you guys ever need help with your marketing, let me know. And they reached out to me a couple of weeks later. Um, they had lost their director of marketing. Hmm. They were launching uh, Universal Book Links was uh, going to be oh, yeah. a new release. And they wanted to know if I could help them with that launch. And so I, I came on board and I helped them. And uh, and really, by the time, you know, by the end of the first month, I was already they'd already offered me uh, the gig, uh, the, the director gig. Um, and so that's been since that's been six years as of this past July. Um, so you came over to help and just never left. Never left. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good fit. Uh, 
you know, I have a, a mission statement, you know, and I uh, have a, a, a goal. Um, part of what I want to be able to do is give back to this community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've done that in a lot of different ways, but, you know, draft digital fit right in the slot for how to give back to the author community. You know, uh, it's been, I, you know, and I, there's, um, it's changed quite a bit since I started and you know, we acquired Smashwords. Uh, we are the biggest now. I mean, we just are it was huge. It. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much that we do now that is so beneficial to the author community and I, it's, it's good to be a part of it. You know, I don't yeah. know whether I'll, uh, forever be drafted digital. Uh, but I mean, I don't have any reason to leave yet. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not tired of me yet. So, Hey, that's, that's always a good thing. Um, yeah. yeah uh, we recently had, um, Alex from Kalytics on, and, and we were talking about data driven, yeah. um, using data in your, in your publishing business. Now uh, he's talking specifically about publishing for Kindle and, and on Amazon. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a whole business that's been built on publishing for KU and, you know, staying in that narrow focus. Yeah. And a lot of people are successful like that. Um, but draft to digital, it, it focuses on publishing wide, uh, yeah. for the most part, or, or at least the option of publishing wide. Um, from from your vantage point, what are the benefits of publishing wide versus being locked into the Amazon ecosystem? Uh, I mean, just as a start, you're reaching more of the world uh, than you do through Amazon. Amazon, uh, I think at this point, it's like 13 markets worldwide. Um, and that is it. Uh, that's not even, you know, that's, that's like, even though they're the biggest marketplace on the planet, that's maybe a 10th of the, of the, uh, readers in the world. Um, and so I, you know, when I started publishing, I, I had no, I, my intention was to get my books in front of as many people worldwide as possible. So that part of that mission is going wide, but I mean, the real advantages are you're not dependent on one company. And yeah. the truth is, and let's just be brass tacks about this. Like the truth is if you are uh, ex- exclusive to Amazon and KDP select, um, you get a lot of advantages that can be quite financially lucrative. Um, and, but then your income becomes entirely dependent on that source. And as authors, you know, we're told all the time that, you know, you need to, to diversify your income. Um, and I think that's true. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe it's not diversified enough by just going wide. Uh, but it, it's certainly more diversified <laughs> than if you're stuck, you know, limiting yeah. yourself to just the, uh, Amazon readers. Um, Honestly, so I, you know, I had books that were in KU forever um, because they were just money makers, and I didn't want to pull them. And over the past uh, year and a half, two years, I've actually finally pulled everything out of KU. Um, I've got like one or two things that are in there that are just, you know, they don't, they're not, they're there because they're there. I mean, I'm I'm not concerned about them. I wasn't trying to go wide with them necessarily, but um, the. the thing was, I discovered I had a strategy of, you know, well, I'll put my books in KU and then after 90 days, if I want to pull them out, I can, you know, and I think that's right. not a terrible strategy. But uh, the problem is that you are only cultivating Amazon readers at that point. Right. And so 
you know, people who pick up the book, like if I do a bunch of advertising, well, I can't advertise the book to anyone outside of Amazon because I'm wasting my money. Right. And people who get on my mailing list who, you know, maybe got a free book and are interested in me, if they're not Amazon readers, they're going to, they're going to unsubscribe to my list. So what was happening was I was watching my prospects get narrower and narrower. And that is exactly what Amazon wants you to do. They want right. you to limit yourself <laughs> Yeah, only them and and all your marketing is only for them. And you uh, ultimately when everything is said and done, you have a, a nicely curated list of Amazon readers. And you if you go wide, you have to start completely over, which is exactly what happened to me. Um, I had very few readers on my list who bought from other platforms still do. You know, Amazon is still overwhelmingly the, the biggest chunk of my platform. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, it's been a, a tough road over the past like two years trying to expand that and it's, it's slowly growing, but it is not growing as quickly as I, as I would have liked, which means that if I had started earlier, you know, <laughs> well, that's a question that I have. If, if someone is in KU and, and signed up for KDP select, um, and they decide to go wide. Yeah. I would imagine this is just a theory of mine that initially they're going to take a, a hit in sales and yeah. they're going to drop while it takes time to recover, to, well, to build up that wide market. What advice do you give people for, that, first to, to stick out the, the doldrums? Yeah. Let's, let's correct the record slightly because okay. there's a good chance that even when you use, pull all if you just pulled all your books from KU there's a really good chance that for a time you'd still get page reads because there's a lot of people who check out a book from from KU True. who don't True. read it right away right um so you could still continue to do that um the 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 trouble with pulling out and going wide um is that you are completely starting over with your marketing and your initiative and your momentum there okay so one thing that I would recommend after my experience is um, if you are, if all your books are KU, uh, start letting them lapse out of KU and go and keep them on Amazon. And then um, start, you know, start advertising as quickly as you can, as, as much as you can to start building up your mailing list for non KU readers, people on other platforms. Uh, and I would concentrate on one platform at a time, honestly, to concentrate on Apple, concentrate on Barnes Noble, Kobo, whatever it is that you think would give you the best odds. Um, but focus all your energy on that first. Keep them wide everywhere. But keep your marketing focused on that one platform because that's how you're going to ultimately replace Amazon uh, as your income or at least substitute, you know, what you're losing. Uh, but then I would take your books and and just basically do a whole new launch one book at a time and do them in as rapid release. So if you've got three books or five books or something, um, you know, start letting them come out of KU and uh, then start putting, you know, put that first one up as a, 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 an offer right away and start putting the others up as pre-order on all the platforms that will take it right away. And then, you know, make sure you're advertising, uh, or a call to action or something in, in that book for the next book uh, and just kind of keep stacking that way. And basically you are starting over. So yeah. 
do it the way you would do it. If you if you came into this business with five books already written and ready to go, you know, use a rapid release strategy like that. Yeah. And uh, fine tune all of your advertising. First of all, I tell authors all the time to focus less on trying to sell books through ads and more on building up your mailing list through ads. Because if you can get your mailing list built up big enough, it it will become your advertising your platform. Ads, right. Exactly. You don't have to spam everybody every every month with a buy my book ad, but you know, just having a a, a little footer in your emails that says, "Hey, you can find my books here." You know, write a nice personable email that has nothing to do with selling a book and have links to buy your books in the bottom of every email and you're no longer spamming your list. You're just talking to them and engaging them. That's um, that's fantastic advice. Uh, if someone has a book or a series of books that are doing moderately well to well uh, in KU, yeah, would you recommend them taking that wide or would you recommend them waiting for a new series and just going wide with that so that you don't One have strategy the that you can use that I could have used and didn't, but I <laughs> thinking back on it. I think this would really be good. Um, yeah. If you've got the juice to do it, yeah. Uh, start writing and producing a series outside of KU and leave your other one in for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and one one thing you might do is if you need the continuous, you know, new release, start going to a once every other release. Like so, every other you know, on the Kotler on my Kotler books, you know, I, I would write a Kotler book, and then the next month I'd write and produce a Alex Kane book and right. release that one wide, you know, and then the next month I do another Kotler book and then the next month I do another Kane book. And, you know, it's, if you can get ahead of it, it's even better. Right. Like if you, if you could write those, that second series and get three of those books written and ready to go before you start releasing them, you will, you will fare much better. But if you're impatient like me, you could just flip flop every month, uh, but you need to be consistent about it. But that right. way, you're still building up your your series, your money making series, but you're also starting to appeal to a wider audience and start advertising that that book. Don't you know? Spend less time advertising to sell your other yeah. series and more time advertising um, the new series and get people hooked on that. Do a short story based in that world that gets people on your mailing list. You know, focus all your energy on. Like I said, pick a pick a retailer. Right. And when that retail and I, I, I would set goals like, you know, OK, I'm going to focus on Kobo. And when I get to where I, you know, I have three books in Kobo and I've gotten, you know, and I'm getting two thousand dollars per release minimum, then uh, then I will start concentrating on Apple or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, and, and just, you know, build that way. And it's a long that's another long tail strategy, which, you know pretty much every strategy I have, but yeah, uh, I will say this, anything I've ever tried that was, you know, quick growth is blown up in my face a hundred percent of the time. Well, you know? and, uh, we've talked a lot lately about the, uh, you know, that, that time a decade or, you know, 12 years ago when the Kindle revolution was really yeah. taking off and, and you had all the Kindle millionaires who would just, yeah write a book in a weekend, throw it up there with no editing, with a yep. cover they made in Microsoft Word, and all of a sudden they were millionaires, you know. Right. And very few of those people are 
still in the game or yeah. you don't hear much about them. If they are um, still in the game, they've they've adapted. Like right. They're not doing that anymore. They're, exactly, because that doesn't work anymore. Right. And and right. you could argue whether it ever worked at all aside from a, a few random cases. A lot, a lot but, of those folks benefited from the novelty of – of those of that system coming into yes. existence and yes. um and there being a uh, a lack of material for people right. you know so yeah if you're you're not going to succeed that way anymore yeah you know you need you need i'm not even going to say that you need to pay for covers or things like that i mean there's lots of ways to get around if you are a no overhead author which is the majority of people i talk to right uh there are plenty of resources out there to help you with there cover are. design, editing, things like that, that cost little to nothing. Um, yeah. In engaging year, there's more and more. Idea. Yeah. I mean, what's the, there's a, oh, I forget the name of the thing. Uh, middle, uh, middle journey, mid journey. Mid journey is a uh, AI uh, graphic tool, right? Really? Where you can, it's, and it's run on a uh, Discord server. But you go in and you type in this sequence of, of commands um, and you can tell it basically everything you want in an image and it'll create an image that looks like something produced by, you know, one of these digital artists. <clears throat> and you can pay as little as 10 bucks a month to oh, use wow. that service. So I'm looking at that like, okay, well, my next cover is going to feature an image that I design or that I have designed by artificial intelligence. Right. So that's 10 bucks a month. If you can't afford 10, at least that much in overhead. Right. Um, I mean, I feel you, I've been there, um, yeah. but 10, 10 bucks a month with no obligation to keep doing it, you know, but you can go on um, Canva and I believe yes. that they have a free, they have a free account you can use. And one of their, their templates is an ebook cover. Yeah, and, and lots uh, of royalty-free stock art. Tons of tons of it. Now, yeah, don't just use the default stock art and and text and everything that they give you with the template. Uh, I've seen right. people do that a lot, and uh, that that always ends poorly because that means a yeah. million people are using that. But <laughs> right. it, you know, go and my advice on covers is go on Amazon, go to the the bestseller list for the type of book you're trying to write or you want to publish, and then. Right screenshot the all the thumbnails of covers and yeah. when you go to either get your cover made or design your cover in canva or whatever it is you're going to do i want you to put that up on screen side by side with the cover that you're trying to build and i want you to honestly evaluate and even get some people engaged in this get them come look at it and say and tell you whether or not your cover looks in any way like those covers right they, they don't have to be identical but they need to look like it needs to look like it's it would fit in that group of covers. You want to you want to mimic the tone. Yeah. Because yeah. covers are one of those places where absolute originality is actually unfavorable to you. Right. If you do something just so original that it doesn't look like it fits that genre, because you know, readers are looking for books that are familiar. Right. They just read you know, this John Green, they just read Camino Wins from John Grisham and they want a book right. just exactly like that. Well, if your book looks more like, you know, robots in a spaceship, they're not going to buy it. <laughs> no, so you're right. Um, in, in all of the marketing work that you've done with people and, and helping them to, you know, dial in their marketing, is there, um, is there something that, uh, 
that is a common uh, mistake or something that that authors overlook, uh, especially if we're talking about indie authors and people that are bootstrapping their yeah uh, their whole author life. Is there something that people often overlook or are just doing mm-hmm. wrong? They spend more time doing things like you know trying to sell the book than building their platform. The platform is where it's going to happen. You remember um, Arrested Development, yeah. that show? Yeah. Remember how when uh, the father was in prison and uh, and uh, they went and he was, I forget the guy, the actor's name now, but he went to see him, in, Michael uh, went to see him in prison and he kept saying, the money is in the banana stand. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> and then it turned out the money literally was like lining the walls of the banana stand. Well, the money is in the platform. If you want money as a writer, you spend time building your platform deep and wide. You want as many people on that platform as you can get, and you want them qualified. Like you want them, they if they came in because they liked your short story, that's a good thing, right? You gave them yeah. something free and they came and got on your list and they stayed on your list after the first, you know, autoresponder sequence or the first email you sent out or whatever. You know, you've got a pretty good lead there. And an even better lead is when you send out that email, if that person clicks on the link uh, to buy, even if they don't buy, they're a good lead. So your energy needs to be, how do I build up a, a, a the biggest, widest, deepest mailing list of, of ideal readers that I can build? And that's where all your creative energy needs to go when it comes to marketing. If you don't do anything, if you spend any money at all on marketing for the first I'll go, I'll go as far as to say the first three years, spend it on building up your mailing list. And that, and I mean, mail, you're, you're a platform ultimately is your ability to reach a reader, right? Doesn't matter what that is. So that includes your email list. It also includes social media. It includes standing in the line of the grocery store, right? But the, the strength of your platform is that mailing list. So that's, that's your all or nothing. That's your Hail Mary. That's where all that's where that's the entire banana stand when it comes down to it. Great advice. Um, we, we at Dabble uh, develop software to help people write their books. You know, our, yeah. our whole goal is to get people to, to make a, a tool that is inviting, is easy to use and helps you get the, the, the story out of your head and onto the page yeah um, for when when you're finished with that um, a a uh, an organization like draft to digital then helps you take that yeah. finished book and do what with it what what's the what's the goal and so purpose you've, you've just dabble just helped you generate your your completed manuscript and then you took that and you went to you know and you got it edited and you got a cover designed and you you did all the things that you're told you're supposed to do. Yeah. You bring all that to draft digital. Um, your manuscript, you can bring your manuscript to draft digital as a Word file or an RTF file or even a pre-formatted EPUB. If you use Vellum or um, uh, David Chesson's new uh, Atticus or yeah. something like that, you can format your own EPUB. That's fine too. Uh, if you don't have a formatted EPUB, we will automatically format your book as as an ebook when i used to say as you know epub and moby but now moby's going away that's right. amazon's uh, proprietary format so that's going away so it's all epub now 
will automatically format that that book for you in that in that file format and it takes like less than 10 minutes to do that less than actually that part happens in like 30 seconds um and then from there uh if if you have your ebook cover you know you upload that and we'll we'll package all that together we've got some options for you if you're coming in with an epub you miss out on a few of our cool little tools but not not all of them but you know we take care of your what they call your front matter and in matter we'll do that stuff for you automatically uh, the about the author all that stuff gets taken care of for you uh, table of contents all that and then we'll convert that into an epub and then you can actually choose uh, your layout from our cool little layout tools that we have very much like vellum um if it's an epub you don't you don't bother with that and then from there you can pick your you can set your price and pick all the storefronts you want to distribute to and hit publish and usually within a day or two that book is at almost every retailer you can go to all the major retailers uh we have systems to get your book into very into libraries worldwide we've got some that are focused in, exclusively on australia and germany and italy and uh, so you, you, we've, we literally get you, we've calculated it. We'll get your book into a storefront in literally every country in the world. Um, wow. including you have now, if your book does, is considered illegal in that country, there's nothing we're going to be able to do. <laughs> <Right>. uh, but, <laughs> uh, but for the most part, you know, if you've got a pretty tame book, that's not uh, erotica or not, you know, calling for the overthrowing of uh, a certain government or whatever, then uh, right. your book is available everywhere. And uh, that's pretty much it. And then, then we consolidate all the um, sales reporting and that sort of thing. Uh, we will support you. Uh, we have, we're, man, I'm telling you, we're known as like, you know, indie author support. Uh, we have people who reach out to us to help with problems that, you know, don't even distribute through us. Um, <laughs> and we can't help you if you don't distribute through us, but we do have people who reach out sometimes, but, but we can be sympathetic. Of, yeah, we can, we'll give you a, we, we might be able to offer some advice, you know? Right. Right. And, uh, and we have a growing list of like promotional tools. Um, our books to read stuff is all about promoting yourself. Uh, we've got a promotions manager who goes and sets up promotions with the retailers and all that stuff is kind of new but it's all growing and now that we have uh smashwords uh we're we're getting ready uh pretty soon we're going to get all the ddd authors and their books are will will be in the smashwords store and let me tell you something hank the smashwords store isn't is officially once the ddd books are in there it's officially the largest uh indie author storefront in the world wow online or offline and will give you the highest royalty of any storefront in the world up to it's like 85 percent royalty maybe even up to 90 percent, depending and uh and you're never going to get a better higher royalty than that you basically that's the indie author store now so i'm that's really excited great. about that one that one's gonna be cool yeah and now <laughs> is is that available now or is that in the you know in the process of rolling i mean out? if you come in uh yeah we're still we're there's a lot more to it than people might think but we're we're very close so like within the next you know couple of months we're going to be able to flip the switch and start migrating everybody over um i'm one of the guinea pigs so some of my books are kind of floating around in there um slightly it's a slightly it's a different interface than what we have so we're also yeah. kind of looking at like how do we revamp uh, the interface so that 
you know, it works for everybody, but also allow the people who are familiar with and used to Smashwords to have you know, the sort of Smashwords classic, you know? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's going to happen pretty soon. I mean that, and, uh, you know, we have DDD print, which is our POD service, um, print on demand, uh, is, uh, releasing full sometime this year. Um, it's actually already fully powered and ready to go. It just, we've been trying to solve the author copy problem. If you're outside of the U S and you order author copies, like your customers get their books, the price you ask and, yeah, you, know, you get it in the same time frame and everything. That's no problem. The reader has no issues. But the authors, if I'm in Australia and I order, you know, even one copy of my book, um, it right. could cost me a hundred bucks. And so uh, that's because of shipping, because the you know right. the printer doesn't have any printers there yet. So we've yeah, been working true. on that, and uh, that's the, we've solved it. Um, and now it's just a matter of dot and i's and crossing t's and. You know, holding their jaw just right. Excellent so. news. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, the universal links, which is yeah. one of the coolest features yeah. that that D2D came up with. Uh, tell people what that is. And yeah, um, it's an it, so it's the thing that when I started, this is the, the first thing I had a hand in releasing, and I didn't have anything to do with making it. But I, yeah, you know, it's a it's exactly as it's described a universal book link. It is an evergreen link that um, sends readers to all the different versions of your book everywhere they're sold. Uh, when we started, it was only eBooks, uh, but now it includes print and, and not just print, but you know, large print, um, hardcover, uh, audio books, all that stuff is in there now. Some of it's a little more manual than others. Uh, if you want to have all the, the uh, audio book stuff, that's all manually entered, but um, <clears throat> I've, I've done it and it's not, it doesn't take very long to do. Um, but that you can customize that link. So, you know, I have, uh, for example, uh, books to read.com slash evergreen. And, uh, so if you type that into a URL, it's going to take you to a little landing page that shows you all the storefronts where you can buy my book and all the different formats. And you can click on the one you want and, uh, you can even set it as your default. Um, and one of the things that I, and so you can customize the URLs. That's one thing. One of the things I really dig is, um, I have affiliate accounts with different retailers. Sure. So like Amazon Associates and uh, Apple and and all these different retailers. Well, you can embed those affiliate links in your uh, you, your universal book links. So when someone goes to Amazon and buys, if they buy your book, you know, you get a little bit extra kickback. But if they go on and buy like a refrigerator or, you know, a new right. computer or something, you get a kickback from that too. And, and right. so it's a... It's a nice way to to kind of pad your income a little. Absolutely. So. And and it's a whole lot easier to get someone to remember a human readable link that yeah. that you helped design yeah. than just giving someone the amazon.com slash UW yeah. capital G, you know. Right. Yeah. And no if you're doing different things, like I said, this is an evergreen link. So yeah. if new stores come up later, you just it refresh automatically it. populates. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and so you're you, the link never in you. So that means you can use that link on social media, but you could also put it on a billboard if you wanted. You could put it on your business cards or, you know, wear it on a t-shirt and, uh, it, and it'll always be active. It'll always be, it'll always point them to where your book is. Uh, that's just, you know, that was a game changer, you know? Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and you need to do that just because that's good business. Period. It is good business. It's free. Yeah. Um, you know, and what's funny is you know how you know how authors on the internet are. Like they'll they go straight to conspiracy theories. They go straight, you know. Oh, yeah. So I have seen I've they they have no idea that we watch everything, right? Like uh Kboards is not as much of a thing anymore, but when Kboards was around, we we released Universal Book Links and I used to see people post things like you know, you don't want to use universal book links because that's a violation of Amazon's uh, policy because uh, you have to own your page or whatever. And, you know, of course, Amazon's one of our retailers. We have a great relationship right. with them. You know, we wouldn't build something that was against their policy. Obviously. You know? So yeah. uh, people come up with all kinds of crazy stuff and they'll show you quote unquote proof, you know, but it's usually <laughs> they went and broke the rules somewhere and right. got nailed for it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I get told all the time that people don't want to use them use those links in their emails because of amazon's policy and i and i i'm like i have been using those links for six solid years yeah and i've never gotten uh i've gotten a ding when i've accidentally sent out the amazon link uh the the you know the uh, the amazon associate link instead of sending a ubl i've gotten dinged on that but i've never gotten dinged on the ubl wow. because it has its own landing page Right. Which is entirely the point. That's why that's there. So, yeah. So exactly. people are funny. <laughs> they are. Uh, Kevin, this has been a super fast hour. Thank you so much for joining me today and just catching up. This is fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it again. Um, tell people where they can find you and, you know, all the stuff that you're into uh, online. Uh, me, you can find actually everything related to everything I have said. You could find at kevintumlinson.com. Uh, but where you'll also find a link to draft to digital at draft digital.com. So, and that's draft number two digital.com. And I'll link up that stuff in the show notes when we, when we re republish this and make it easy for folks to find you. Uh, Kevin, thanks for joining me today. Anytime, man. I'm always glad to talk to you. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.